Hello, everyone. Uh, this is going to be a jam-packed session where we're going to be digging into this one nitty-gritty topic, which is on a lot of people's minds right now, is how do you decide if product-led growth is right for your business? Should every company be product-led? Or what should you think about when deciding if this is right for your specific business? So I have a long time... <laughs> I'm going to say customer. I'm like, you're not a customer, but podcast... Uh, Acquaintance. Acquaintance? <laughs> person acquaintance who comes on podcast at times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so long-time acquaintance. Kieran has been on the podcast several times now. He's spoken at several of our product-led summits. And every time we have Kieran on, we always hear so many great reviews and people saying, Oh my goodness, that was like the best part of this summit. That was the best part of this program and all that stuff. So it's always a pleasure to have you on, Kieran. And I'm really excited to, to dig into this topic. So before we do, can you just give us like a quick 30 seconds feel about who you are? And then we can get started on the topic. Yeah, so I'm a ex-software engineer who wasn't very good, transitioned into marketing, have done a lot in SaaS, worked in HubSpot for the past nine years. I've kind of helped the business grow internationally, moved to PLG, led the acquisition of the hustle and built out our kind of media presence, helped do a bunch of other things and uh, really just have been having a good time and getting to work on some projects. Sweet. Awesome. So how would you even approach this topic of like, how to decide if product growth is right for your business? I think very it's kind of been interesting to watch the evolution of product-led growth over the past five years. I think even starting with asking that question is good because I've talked to businesses who, you know, I do a lot of advisory, a lot of talking to founders around PLG, and they often will start to call with, you know, the tactical nature of PLG. Oh, we're trying to figure out how we can get the engineering team span out and the product teams. And, you know, one of the questions I ask them is like, why are you doing this? And obviously there's two variations of companies, right? There's like PLG bottoms up from the inception yeah. and then there's companies who want to back in the PLG. And so I think asking that question is really important. But the PLG business is like very well understood today and is in some respects quite simplistic, right? And I think you do PLG because you can build self-server at the lower end, build really great unit economics and not need to use salespeople to sell into those companies because the unit economics doesn't support that. And then you layer on product-led sales to you know, expand up market and leverage that user base to sell into larger companies. And that really is the PLG business. Now you can come at it from opposite ends. So I think first of all, and I can get into like the kind of what you should really think about, but first mm -hmm. of all, I think even just asking that question would be a real meaningful start for a lot of companies. Yeah. It almost sounds like from just listening to you as well, that there should be another question before that. Just like, what is your goal or what is like your overall strategy and how does this kind of fit into that? Is that fair to kind of say, or did you have different thoughts on that? Yeah, exactly. And so, so there are nuances to PLG. Like what I've given is the somewhat general reason to do, or the kind of go-to-market or theses behind PLG. Now there's, there's the other nuances we can get into, but first of all, like, if that is the kind of best PLG businesses, then you can ask yourself, well, do we have what it takes to build an incredible self-serve business? Like, does your product lean towards mm -hmm. quick time to value? Is there something you can onboard people to? Is there some simplistic thing that people will actually understand? Do I have ways that can acquire people at scale? Am I going to be able to like upgrade and touchlessly? Does that self-serve business, will that actually help support upmarket so I don't end up with like two... Uh, the attached businesses, like, oh, I have this one self-serve business that is completely unrelated to the upmarket business I'm trying to drive. So I think, first of all, starting with your kind of the rules of the game, mm -hmm. like, 
what does it take to get into the PLG game? And I think a lot of that is like customer adopt, like how customers want to adopt and use and buy your software really matter. And then once you know the rules like of the game and you can start to say, well, we meet those rules, then you can start to figure out if you want to play that game. Now, people do lean into PLG for a variety of reasons. I think large companies want to back into it and build self-serve because they want to protect themselves from the lower end of the market or that they have a lot of people that want to use their product and they don't want to support that through an inside sales team. You have bottoms up SaaS for the most part. Are, you know That's how they went to market, but they want to layer on product-led sales. And then I do meet companies who want to do PLG because they just want to build much more of a consumer type B2B product. And so they want to have more consumer UI within the product, make it much easier to use. And I think that's really important. And they see PLG as a means to get the reps to figure out how to make it like much more touchless, much more seamless, You know, not be so cumbersome. Interesting. So what I'm kind of writing down here is like, there's several kind of big questions you need to ask yourself. Well, one of them uh, you touched on is like, what does it take to get into the PLG game? And then the second follow-up is like, do you even want to play this game? <laughs> right, right. Which maybe it's also like, instead, do you want to play that game? Is it like, are you going to be you... able to win that game if that's not your capability? Like you don't have quick time to value. You don't have any of those other areas in the business right now. You might just be playing or you could play a game that you're just not very good at in that way. Yeah. And I'll give you a really good example. I was talking to a founder a couple of weeks ago and they were talking to me about their PLG and we were kind of doing some, you know, going through all of the different questions that they had and trying to help mm -hmm. them. And one of the questions I asked is like, okay, talk me through who you sell into at the upper end of the market. Talk me through how consumers or users will adopt your product. Talk me through how this actually gets rolled out within a company. And what's pretty obvious is it didn't really matter. It, like They could have had the best freemium version of that product that they could do bottoms up through the users, but the user has zero autonomy to adopt the product that they have. Like It was like a financial product. And so that just comes top down. It comes from the person who runs that team, right? Like there is no bottoms up element because the users when companies don't have the ability to, that's a universal decision that the company makes of what software to adopt. It is not the user decision. So then you're like, well, who's going to use this freemium product, right? Like you're kind of selling into the same, the upmarket buyer and the self-serve buyer is the same person and the users have the same amount of control in that buying process at either end. And so what, who's going to use your freemium product, which is really specifically geared towards individual users. And, you know, that's what I mean by the rules of the game. You really have to think through, do I have all of the components I need to have a really great PLG business that fits to your point with the goal that I have of rolling this out? For sure. And so I want to take us through like uh, an example here. Let's apply it to like HubSpot. So for like HubSpot, how would you decide if like PLG is right for HubSpot like early days? Maybe we'll kind of uncover there's a framework or some similar questions here, but yep. let's play the game. <laughs> well, so HubSpot was a disruptive go-to-market motion. So back when we launched our first version of our, you know, the first thing we launched for free was the CRM. And so that was much, it was quite disruptive in the market because there was no consumer kind of grade CRM. There was no CRM you could just adopt and use. You did have features in there, which were sales acceleration tools that sales reps could use in a meaningful way without having to get their product like without having to get their company to adopt the entire CRM. Because that was one thing going back to the question I just asked is like, okay, like can actually any individual users get value within the product or do they just have to make a decision that they're going to adopt the entire thing, which is not going to be the user's decision. It's going to be someone else's decision. Yeah. And so there were lots of feet we obsessed over having like individual features that users could get a lot of value from. We obsessed over how does this open up 
years for acquisition. And one of it is because it's such a disruptive go-to-market and there's nothing else like that on the market, then you actually are going to able to like suck in a bunch of people who want to use that thing for free where it's not available for, well, had it been available to that point. We obsessed over like the quick time, the value, right? Like there was a great, the team behind Signals, which was the origins of HubSpot PLG, which was this kind of Chrome extension that allow you to send emails, get notifications when someone actually opened your email. It's really great for sales reps to know if people are interacting with their emails. Like the time to value is like instant, right? Like I send email, yep. get notification. It's a really instant time to value. And so we really thought about that for the individual features that were in that product. So I'll stop there, but that's kind of, you know, it was really starting with like, okay, well, this is quite a red ocean in terms of CRM and how can we yeah. be a disruptor within that ocean? And uh, I think freemium and PLG was one of the ways we could do that. Okay. So I heard a few things. I'll kind of regurgitate. <laughs> you obsessed about like, okay, the time to value, make sure like this is going to be something that people can really, really focus on very quickly. At that time, it was definitely like more of a disruptive play. The space in the market itself was a, a red ocean. It was super competitive. But I want to talk a little bit more about maybe a step before that. Like, how did you make this decision as a company? Or was this, did this just start off as like, hey, you know what? Like, HubSpot was successful before that, but was it just like a Skunk Works project and then it worked? And we're like, okay, this works. Let's scale it out to the rest of the company. How did you come to the decision of like, as a company, that yeah. you know, this is what we're going to do and this is right for our business? Yeah. So obviously I did not make that decision. I think Brian and a couple of other people made that decision, but the origins, like there was a clear goal, which is if you drag back then, I can't remember how many million dollars in AR we were, but let's assume that we were maybe at a hundred. Uh, I really don't, can't, can't remember. And so when you drag the spreadsheet to be a billion dollars in AR, which, you know, we've gone over that now, you would see like in most traditional B2B SaaS companies, there's just this real relationship between revenue and sales or revenue and headcount, right? Every dollar you need in revenue, you need a certain amount of headcount. And so really the goal was to try to figure out if there was a more efficient go-to-market that allowed us to break the connection between revenue and sales reps over time. And again, coming back to like the rules of the game of PLG, really at the lower end of the market, so you can actually utilize sales, sales for higher end deals and increase their PPR. So there was a goal. It was started as like a kind of, the origins was that it was incubated by a couple of folks, uh, Mark Roberge, uh, Christopher O'Donnell, who was CubSpot CPO, Brian Balfour that people know really, really well, a guy called Mike Peachy that people probably have seen over at Reforged. And so there's this crew who created this company called Signals, then Psychic. I can't remember which one it was first, like either Psychic to Signals or Signals to Psychic. And, you know, they tried to figure out, they were really kept separate from the company, looked like a separate brand, and they really wanted to figure out the PLG kind of motions. And the thing they really figured out is like, okay, well, this really works in terms of being able to get, to get people to activate and then to get meaningful amount of revenue from it. Like that it could be a real revenue channels in terms of what we later transition into product qualified leads. Yeah. And so that project was maybe kind of 18 months, I think. And then it, the learnings transition into, okay, well, how can we do this for HubSpot? How can we actually build a PLG motion through our platform? And that's kind of when I joined is when that team disbanded but we took the learnings and actually started to integrate them into HubSpot's business model. Okay. So yeah, at that point, it was kind of like, this is working and like it's integrated with the rest of the business. And do you have any kind of insights as far as like, maybe for that part, like, okay, why did the kind of company decide, like, let's integrate this across the entire business and let's make free CRM like a big part of this push for us to do this disruptive play? 
Yeah, well, we had learned some things. Like we had a goal and, and a thesis in mind. We had launched a minimal viable version of that or skunkwork product or something to incubate that and test that out. We had learned things within that launch of Signals and Sidekick that we knew would work for... The, we were really excited about it. We were excited about being able to get the lower end of the market onto the product for free, to get them activated, to get PQLs going to the sales team. We could see very early on that PQLs were closing at a much higher rate than traditional MQLs, like marketing qualified leads that were coming in through the typical kind of B2B SaaS funnel. Yep. And so um, the CRM was really just the first product we applied it to, again, because of the market dynamics. Yeah, it was a real disruptor within that market in terms of the way that we went to market with that product. Yes. And I want to, like, if you don't know, that's totally fine too. But why was it like the free serum was the first piece? Because, like, in theory, it makes kind of a lot of sense given the product suite that you do have. It's kind of like the core currency in, in some ways. Like, oh, the serum is going to have contacts, the marketing is going to have contacts, serum is just the house for it all. So, yeah, like walk me through kind of like why the, the decision was like, let's give this piece away for free because this is like one of those like age old problems I hear again and again. <laughs> what do I give away for free? And it racks a lot of people's brains for this question of like, what do I give away for free? So we'd love to hear your take on it. It really wasn't what, like again, HubSpot was at that point, there's a couple of things that happened, right? We had learned a lot about the kind of PLG motion, it fit with our overall narrative of wanting to build a kind of break the relationship between revenue and sales reps at the lower end and be able to have sales be much more uh, applied at the upper end. The company at that point was launched, like we wanted to really transition into the CRM game. But that was like a pivotal part of HubSpot's journey is actually the launch of the CRM because the CRM helps you to own the contact record, makes the product much more sticky. Like if we, we knew that the CRM was like a large and meaningful bet for HubSpot. And so the reason, again, we apply, like that was the first product is because that was the focus of the company, right? Mm -hmm. And that we were trying to figure out, like, well, how can we start to get a foothold in this market and go into that market with freemium was the kind of disruptive play and to get the lower end of the market onto the product for free, mm -hmm. be able to like monetize them either through touch lists or, or sales reps depending upon the company size and then build up the market, like build up yeah. the stack from the lower end of the market. Whereas when like, that's why you see a lot of companies try to build down to protect from being usurped from below. And so we want to, in that market is like get product market fit at the lower end through freemium and start to like move up the stack in terms of company size. Totally. Yeah. In our uh, program, we kind of break it down on like three different problem sets. And for bigger companies uh, like HubSpot too, there's probably a lot more buckets for this, but it's like, what are the beginner problems that your user is going to have? And like, okay, in the early days, it might be this CRM. It might be like, if you look at your HubSpot free product right now for like the sales, it's like, oh, you need like a deals dashboard. You need to get meetings or something like that. And then as you kind of scale up the intermediate, it's like the payments. All right, that's more of an intermediate problem. Like let's gate that and start charging people based on that. So, and then the advanced, it's like, that's your enterprise, most likely longer time to value kind of things to, to kind of gate. So I love yeah. that approach. I want to go through a fun kind of like rapid exercise here with the same question of like, how to decide if PLG is right for your business. If this time you're an early stage company, it's like early, they don't quite have product market fit. How do you go about answering this question? Well, so I, it comes back to how do consumers want to adopt and buy your product, right? Like it really depends upon 
the product again it really like i think we could start with a couple of layers we could start with the freemium layer which is yeah. is there a version of my product that actually someone will use in a meaningful way be able to extract value from and that gives me some sort of leverage to accelerate acquisition of other users like they mm -hmm. we know how this works right they either share that within their own network and their network has people like them there's some sort of mechanism that helps to accelerate the growth of that freemium plan but it all comes down to is there like you know what is the version of that product or what is the thing that they can get from that product that is valuable enough for them to actually start to share that and so you do see a lot of plg companies you know, free like free is really just some sort of trial like it's really not mm -hmm. valuable enough so they're not building a pool of users who are continuing to use that their users are just coming in and they're like figuring out if that's the right thing for them and then they're kind of leaving if it's not because there's not enough value and free to keep on using it so i think you have to really establish am i trying to build a pool of users or am i just trying to build some sort of better kind of free trial where i expect users to come in try it if they don't want it they'll go off and not use the product in any kind of meaningful way then i'm like so then I'm like, so you have to kind of really obsess about that freemium part, make sure that your users want to really like adopt it in that way. Then you're trying to figure out doing touch lists. Are you doing like inside sales through the freemium plan? Like is it how much of that is going to be self-serve? How much of the self-serve mm -hmm. is going to turn into like revenue through the sales team? Do you have like meaningful way? The thing that I always talk to companies about is like, how do you find it balance between free and paid? So do you have enough value in free where it helps to accelerate and build the flywheel to acquire users, but not so much that you don't have things that people will upgrade to, right? And Twitter is a really good, you know, I love what's going on on Twitter from a PLG perspective because they're trying to figure out PLG in real time and getting feedback on it in real time, right? There's a product there. The use case has always been free. Like the core use case of Twitter really is free and it works really, really well. Like we can argue about the bots and maybe that's like degrades the, the product, but really the core service of being able to like either scroll or create tweets works really well. Very similar to like Evernote, right? Like Evernote's core yes. value, they had given away for free for forever. And that Twitter in a very similar place where they're now trying to figure out well, my core value has been given away for free. How do I create ancillary benefits around here that enough users will want to upgrade? And then there was like a real good example of this, I think, uh, from Loom's early days where they actually give away the core value for free. They had unlimited time on their videos and they actually were monetizing through like analytics and team-based features. And if you go to Loom today, or, and they've had this for years, it's only five minutes, right? They cap it. And yeah. we found out that as well when we looked at the different upgrade points, when you actually allow someone to use some amount of feature of the feature, and it's a core feature, but you cap it, the upgrade rates are far higher than versus either gating it or just giving it away for free. And so that's the second part is that balance. Like how, how can you give enough of the value away for free, but I cap it in some way or have enough upside and the ancillary features that people will want to upgrade. And so I think it comes down to that, right? It comes down to really understanding your customer, understanding will they consume or will they adopt the software in this way? Will they buy the product in this way? Do I have a really great freemium plan that allows me to acquire users and can start to spin the flywheel at the lower end? Can I get the balance right between the free and the paid, whether that is like capping the core value or building features around the core value. And then the other thing is like the self-serve versus the upmarket, like all self-serve businesses or PLG at the lower end eventually want to layer on upmarket. And you have to think about, well, are users in this company that I want to sell into upmarket? Is there stuff that is in the self-serve applicable to users and companies 
that I want to sell into through my upmarket motion, right? Do I have an, companies coming in that are like larger companies using the smaller version of this, the freemium version of this, that will actually help me thread the needle between my self-serve and upmarket. So what I'm trying to not do is have two disconnected business where I've built a self-serve motion through this kind of freemium product. And that is very different from the upmarket kind of product that I'm selling. And so there's no pull through from like self-serve to upmarket. I get no benefit from like the freemium, the self-serve motion into my upmarket. So now I have to build two different motions. Mm -hmm. Totally. I want to hear like the devil's advocate side of this too. Like, so I'm an early stage company. I don't quite have product market fit. When would it not be a good idea to go all in on PLG? When is it not? Well, like if you're a, if you have a complex sale selling into multiple buyers, like, like it really comes back to who your audience is and who your users are. I think if you're trying to build up through users, and it's something users can easily adopt and find value in, then PLG is always a great way to go to market. I think if you sell a complex product to multiple buyers, then maybe PLG is good if there's like a route to the users and then you layer in product-led sales to like, uh, you know, collapse all of the users into some cool email and send it and say, hey, do you know this many users in your company are using this? And then you have to do the complex sale stole, but you have like some sort of goodwill built up because it's already in the company. But really out the gate, if you're selling, like I've invested in a bunch of companies, they sell products that are somewhat more complicated mm -hmm. and have to be sold to a certain persona. And so PLG is really not a good fit for them. Totally. Okay. So it's mostly just depending on like how complex your product is, how complex the sales process is. Those two factors have like the biggest ones in your mind. Yeah. Like how do you expect your customers to adopt the product, right? Some mm -hmm. products in B2B are bought through the functional lead and there's no wiggle room. Like there's no ability for users to, oh, I'm going to use this tool. I'm going to use this tool. It's like, there's a uniform tool. Like in HR, there's a uniform tool. In, in the finance department, a lot of the tools are bought by whoever leads the finance department. And it's a pretty mm -hmm. complex sale. It's a pretty you know, cumbersome sale where there's like lots of stakeholders and lots of demos needed. Like you have to really think about like, how are people going to both use and buy this? Right. Okay. I'll play one more devil's advocate this time on me. <laughs> so let's say for this example, they have like a very like they're selling to, let's say like the C-level execs or something like that. And it's, yeah, it's definitely complicated to adopt for them. But like for every example I've seen of that, I'm also like, Hmm. There's some other disruptive company that's gonna like dumb it down and focus on like the user, and they could still be product led in that area if they just targeted the user versus the buyer. So, what's your take on that? Well, let's look at HR, right? A HR platform that a company runs payroll through, reviews through, like all of these different things. Yeah. In what I guess, in what world would users adopt a HR platform versus like before yeah. the company itself has decided what HR platform it wants to use across all teams. Totally. Yeah, that's a good example. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of examples. Again, yeah. if your users have no ability to adopt that thing and use that thing, or your, yeah. your users using that thing has no influence in what the eventual company buys, that's the mm -hmm. disconnect between like the self-serve and the upmarket. Yeah, I could definitely see like some pieces of it being adopted. By like, yeah, maybe it's just like the HR manager, not the head person, but 
Yeah. Yeah, uh, they could have a tool that like, so I'll give you an example of what they could do, right? They could have a tool that users and managers could use for uh, reviews, right? They could have, yeah. you know, templatize it, make it really cool. But the problem is those users using it, do they have any influence on what the company end up buying, mm-hmm. right? And that's the question is like, okay, am I getting like money in the bank from these users using it that I can kind of leverage back to sell to that core buyer? And maybe yeah. in that case they would, but I think in a lot of cases, it doesn't happen that way. Yeah. Okay. And the final kind of scenario I wanted to hear your thoughts on for how to decide if product like growth is right for your business. Because let's say I am running a very sales-led enterprise company. And you know we have some very successful legacy products. And now we're thinking, oh my goodness, like all these entrants, uh, disruptive companies going after our smaller end customers. Uh, that one day could be our big customers. What do we do? And like, how do you kind of go through that decision if like product growth is right for your business? Yeah, I think that's a reason that some companies do do it is... So I think what I've seen is... And I, I don't know if I have all the answers to that, but the cases that I've seen is companies have a product and they have an inside sales model, but mm-hmm. they have a lot of small businesses who love that product and want to use that product, right? So it's not it's not overly complicated, but they're geared towards like mid-market or up-market, but they have a lot of SMBs and, and VSBs, very small businesses using the product. And so they're looking at that and they're like, oh, like we have kind of product market fit for lower end of our market, but we can't apply sales to those businesses because it's just not going to work out in terms of LTV to CAC. And so, that, so they're like, okay, well, we should start. That is actually very common in terms of companies who decide to bolt on PLG. It's to monetize an audience that they already have in a much more effective way. The other one that you're talking about is like, okay, well, I'm sitting there and I have a really great product in the mid mid to upper market. Mm -hmm. And I can see there's a version of my product that will be meaningfully valuable for the lower end of the market. And so not only, so then, I, then I'm thinking, okay, do I want to stretch across the lower end as well? And the reasons that I would do it is not just because it would make me much more profitable, but to your point, because I have leverage, because I've built in mid-market and up-market, and I probably have really good unit economics, I can drag features into free and I can kill the ability for anyone to compete at the lower end. Because if you start there, I already have better unit economics than you because I'm selling something into mid to up market. You're trying to start at the lower market. Well, I'll just make the stuff that you're going to build free. Yeah. So you're you're kind of dead in the water. And so I can actually, you know, kill the market and make sure that no one is coming up from beneath. And I think that is one of the benefits to having the self-serve model because I think it's easier to build up than it is to build down. And I think it's easier actually, in in the same way, it's easier to layer on salespeople to a self-serve motion than it is to take salespeople out and layer on a self-serve motion, right? So it's easier Mm -hmm. to like apply humans into a process than extract them. And that's really hard when you're trying to build into PLG was one of the things that we really realized is like, how do we take, you know, we're so used to selling into demand. How do we actually take sales out of that and let them use the product and let them upgrade themselves and things like that. Okay. Now, like given that we're in like a recession right now too, like how do you feel like if you were to put on your hat right now and say like, okay, this is how product-led companies can win in a recession. What would you kind of say? Like, I mean, there's obviously like on the defense perspective, like product-led companies are just a lot more uh, capital efficient. They can do a lot more there. But then also on the offense side of things too, 
How do you kind of advise product companies to really kind of look at this maybe next year or however long it's going to last kind of thing to really thrive and come out of this better and winning? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if my advice is like specific to PLG companies versus not like it's really, you know, you need to you manage your burn, you're going to have to play a lot of defense and pick your spots for offense. And I think it's okay. You know, I get asked a lot of the kind of well, what should we do? Should we think about the short term to long term? Should we think about the measurable versus unmeasurable? And the cool thing to say would be, oh, you still want to protect your long-term bets. You really still want to invest in the unmeasurable things because that's really where you're going to win. Not everything can be measured through data. But the reality is like, the you know, you're in that kind of cycle where I need to really manage my burn. I really need to make sure my short-term numbers that are driving the business are good. And I need to make sure I can do, I do whatever I can do to protect those numbers. But I still think there's a couple of like long bets where you have real conviction where you truly believe like these are the things that are going to help your business win within that market long term and you don't want to um stop all of those things because coming out of the two-year cycle you want to get a really nice uplift and so i think you should try to figure out some spots that you can play offensive like for plg companies there may be companies sitting there where they're like have decent enough economics and they can protect their kind of churn by bringing good features into free and then people downgrade to free. So they're still in the customer base and you know they can upgrade uh, over time and get back on the pay plans when they have the money. But that, obviously that is a real balancing act, right? Like it's a real balancing act between if you bring something into free, maybe you kill a, a meaningful part of your business. But I do think that's one thing that would be interesting for PLG companies to model is, okay, we're going to get a bunch of churn, but if we actually make some of these things in, we keep these things in the, or move these things into the free plan, it actually is good for acquisition, gives us some ways so we can acquire more users. And it actually might protect our churn a little bit because it gives people an option to downgrade to free and still use the product in some sort of way where they get value from it. Interesting. Yeah. I think for like the defense kind of play, maybe I'm just oversimplifying it, but like, yeah, like manage your burn, reduce costs, and like don't spend money on frivolous things. <laughs> It's pretty straightforward. That's I think you can only like cut so much, but yeah. um, what I, I want us to brainstorm here right now too is like you mentioned like one offensive play, which is like, okay, you can take some of the features you already have right now, maybe just give them away for free, like really like ramp up the acquisition side of things. Brilliant. I mean, you could do that play, capture a lot more demands during this recession because a lot more people are looking for free stuff. You could just play that up. What are some other like really fun offensive plays. And it doesn't have to be specific to just like, oh, it's just product-led stuff. But what are some really great offensive plays that companies can do in this recession to to come out stronger? Well, the funnest one, but would only be for the companies that are truly in a very strong position would be M&A. Because you're going to get some really great deals. And there may be deal... Like when you think about M&A, it's really, you have your acquire where you kind of acquire talent in a certain area. You have your product bundling, which is really the most common in B2B, which is like, I buy product, I bundle with my product, and then I can cross-sell and upgrade onto that product. And mm-hmm. I can cross, I can cross-sell my users onto their product. I can cross-sell their users onto my product so I get that added revenue. And then the one that's less common is like, I do this for distribution, like accelerate the growth of my go-to-market. Now, there are really circles, right? There's M&A deals that exist in multiple of those circles of their mm-hmm. event diagram. And so like the Adobe and Figma one, I think is a really good example of it exists in their kind of product bundle, but also ex- a go-to-market accelerant because Figma obviously have a really great PLG motion community 
Odoe do have that as well, but they really do give them some sort of momentum to actually drive more growth. And so I do think there's going to be, I do think you're going to see some real M&A deals happen over the next 12 to 18 months because companies are going to start to look really cheap. Private companies are going to really struggle to raise capital. And I think there's going to be some interesting deals to be done. Yeah. And I think that kind of alludes to this whole question we've been talking about today, which is like how to decide if PLG is right for your business. And you know what? If you're like this big sales up business in a strong position, it might just be like, actually the fastest path to market is just to acquire a successful product that business that's doing something similar in this space. And you can learn there much, much faster. So if that was like the situation, what are some of the things where you would think, okay, you really got to think about this. If that is your situation, you're a sales company, you're like, hey, this is going to be painful going through this whole process of making our business product-led, but we could just acquire a product-led business. What are some of the kind of like big questions you think you should ask or that person should be asking themselves in order to make that kind of decision? So I think in a lot of cases, it won't make sense for like a sales-led company to acquire a PLG company and bolt that on. It's really hard to do that. It's really, you, you kind of end up with a bit of a mess because the PLG business really starts with some sort of version of your core product yeah. for free. And so I think it's really hard. To, unless you have a PLG business and you can kind of integrate it with your platform or something. And so there's a real linear path. For and sure. so if you, you know, if you bought a kind of freemium app and by using that freemium app, it could like insert data into your platform. And there's there's a real there's just a real linear path. So you have to really think about like what is the user journey? Or should we just the main thing you have to think about is like when you're doing MA, you think about should we build by our partner? And mm-hmm. build is basically the best option, but there's opportunity. A lot of times build is the best option, right? It would be easier to just build this because we can customize it the way we want. We can make sure it's very integrated into our product. We don't have the overhead of trying to integrate a brand new team, culture, all of those different things. But there's just opportunity costs. Like, yeah, I can build this, but it's going to take me 10 years to get to where this other company are, right? Yeah. And I, I just don't have the time to be able to do that. So there's a variety of reasons build doesn't make sense. Partner, for the most part, doesn't make sense in a lot of cases because there's something you intrinsically want to own. And to mm-hmm. get the full maximum amount of benefit from, you have to kind of buy it. And then acquisition makes sense if you kind of get everything to line up. Like it really fits the kind of, you know, the kind of goals that you have. But from someone who's like went through a small acquisition, I have a better appreciation for how difficult they are. And so it really is, it, you really have to have really great conviction of why you would actually do that. Awesome. So there we have it. Some of the offensive plays you can make in a recession, whether that's MA, bundling, and also I think for the other ones. Yeah. I think you mentioned one more offensive play on the offensive side. Do you Did I say uh, did you mention bring the features into free to help your downgrades? Yes, that was it. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. I want to make sure we recap that one. Yeah. Awesome. Now, as we kind of wrap up, what's maybe like one or two things that you feel like companies should like keep in mind uh, when making this decision of like how to decide if PLG is right for your business? Yeah, again, uh, can your yeah. users be your buyers? Can you have a version of your product that is valuable, has quick time to value, that has some sort of way to create momentum at the lower end? And actually, does your self-serve business support you moving up market and selling into you know a more sophisticated version of your product to those businesses? And can you get the balance right between free and paid? Yeah. And I'll recap with your uh, two questions at the beginning too, to ask yourself, which is like, what does it take to get into the PLG game? That's super important. 
uh, to know like the overall capabilities of what are required to really make this work. And then uh, do you want to play that game? And can you win that game? Um, right. Yes. Always care about winning. Totally. That's why we're here. Awesome. Well, Kieran, it's been an awesome time chatting. And yeah, any last kind of thoughts you want to leave us on? No, it's great to be back. I think the PLG, I think the, you know, the evolution of PLG over the past five years has been really cool to watch. And I think it's just such a well understood business model. And I only see it becoming much more common. Like I'm continually talking to new businesses, new founders, and you know, they're always kind of PLG first, which is really, really cool to see. Awesome. And where can people learn more about you and what you're up to? Yeah, at SearchBrat on Twitter. Yet to be verified, but soon I'll, maybe <laughs> I'll pay $8.99 and uh, get my blue tech. Big purchase. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much again for coming on, Karen. Yep. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Product-Led Podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with a colleague or friends you know who might benefit We are always looking at which episodes get the most listens so we know which content to create more of. So if you want more of this particular type of content or style of episode, please share it out. And in return, here's your selfish reason to do this. Uh, We will definitely create more content just like this episode. (laughs) And if that's not your style, please leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts and tell us your favorite part about this podcast. I personally read every single one of of these reviews and it gives me more ideas on what content we should do more of. Happy growing.